between Pilate and Jesus when he asked them dismissively, what is truth? What is truth? He didn't, and he didn't wait for an answer. So it wasn't, it wasn't intended to be a question. He used it to support a position and he, he declared that Jesus was innocent in front of the angry and accusatory Jewish mob. But then he had him flogged and then handed over to be crucified. And this relates back to this whole notion of relativism. Pilate took it upon himself, Protagoras is saying, about man being the decider of all, since he went along with the idea that truth is relative. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freedom Feature. And I'm your host, Barry Bussey. With me today, we are extending our conversation with Dr. Scott Ventura. He has started the True Freedom Press. He's also done a lot of writing, being very critical of what's been happening in our society at the moment when it comes to the whole woke ideology, but also he's been involved with discussing about politics and how everything is interrelated in this time. We've talked about transhumanism. We've talked about his True Freedom Press. And today we're going to be talking about truth. Scott, thank you for being with us. Well, thanks for having me back yet again, Barry. When it comes to the concept of truth, I was very impressed with this quote that you had in a recent True Freedom Press publication, Service for the People, I believe is the name of the book, in which you had a preface and you talked about understanding what truth is. And I have been really interested in that quote of Aristotle, where Aristotle says, in order to understand truth, we need to understand that you say what is, is, and what is not, is not. Right? I mean, that's true. I think that is the best definition of truth that I have come across. And I mean, this is, we're talking 2,400 years ago, right? Yeah. So the interesting thing is that we live in such a incredibly resistant and hostile environment towards the truth and truth in general. I mean, we see this in the many trends of our decadent culture, but mm. the important thing is to remember that however inconsistently people live in a re what you could call a relativistic quagmire, meaning that they deny the truth intellectually, but they can't possibly live such a reality out since it would lead to some sort of nihilism. But again, mm. this is impossible to live out. It's as if they live with their feet firmly planted in midair, so to speak. Common sense, logic, and things like science, hard work, prosperity, and property rights have been also demonized as harmful. They've been labeled as oppressive tools to enslave people when the truth is the exact opposite. So they're, they're still affirming truth in spite of themselves. And so I see it as the truth is being upturned at every opportunity in our culture. And, uh, you know, increasingly we're told, you know, war is peace, oppression is mm. freedom, mm. male is female, female is male, racial equality is racism, the healthy are ill, as we've seen throughout the COVID debacle and so on. So we also told, you know, essentially what Orwell talked about, it's like we're getting that pummeled into our heads at two plus two equals five. Which, by the way, I understand here in Ontario, it was labeled by some academic organization as a white supremacist dog whistle. <laughs> Have you seen that? No, I haven't even seen that, but it's so typical of, you know, our culture, our society, our education system. It's such a facile way of dismissing 
difficult ideas to wrestle with. And what's interesting is that, mm. you know, George Orwell himself was, you know, temperamentally, he leaned more towards the left than the oh, right, yeah. but he just saw, he had a prophetic vision of what is to come if we continue down this path. And, and sometimes I think, you know, he would even shudder at the stuff that we're seeing now. So, I mean, if we deny two plus two equals five, we're, we're basically ostracized and excluded from society. It leads me to think about this debate between the psychologist, Dr. Jordan Peterson and the new atheist, the so-called new atheist, Sam Harris. They had a debate on Harris's podcast, I believe it was several years ago. I think it was maybe in 2017 or 18. They had several of them, but the first one, I really found it remarkable how they strangely and awkwardly stumbled upon their words and thoughts and failed, they, they ultimately failed to provide a workable definition of truth. You know, one would think that public intellectuals such as Peterson and Harris would be able to speak about truth in a coherent, useful and meaningful way, but they couldn't. And in my experience, what's even more egregious was years ago when I was taking a mandatory course for my master's program in theology at St. Paul University in Ottawa, it was actually an echo theology course. And it was taught by, I would say, somewhat radical feminist. You know, this professor stated, there is no truth with a capital T. Mm. So after hearing this incoherent statement, I, I couldn't help myself. And, and I interjected it and asked her if that statement, which she just confusedly uttered, I asked her whether that was true. And, you know, the remarkable thing was that it seemed to be lost on her. The point was lost on the point that I was trying to make. And the thing is that as soon as someone denies truth, they affirm it unknowingly in spite of themselves. And so right. the truth is always inescapable. One might wonder and your audience might wonder, especially maybe Christians, what hope there can be possibly if a professor of theology denies the existence of truth. It turns out that many faculties of theology throughout the Western world in Europe and North America, and probably in parts throughout uh, Latin and South America, especially South American countries like Argentina, it seems that they're genuflecting at this altar of postmodernism, compromising not only the truth in general terms, but in particular, the truth of the gospel, especially in these faculties of theology. And so years ago, I remember a Catholic philosopher at a conference that I presented about Aristotle, actually, he asked me at a dinner, why do theologians hate God so much? It didn't take me aback because I saw that rampant through postmodern ideology that was running through the faculties of theology at St. Paul University and even at Dominican University College, where actually in conjunction with uh, Carleton University is where I finished my doctorate. You know, some of the professors of philosophy and theology that were Catholic priests were through and through uh, postmodernists, and they had some very disturbing ideas. And, you know, it would shock people. And one of the things that I saw is that some students will come in as Catholics and leave as agnostics or New Agers or atheists. And I remember posting something on Facebook and there was one girl who went into she went into the faculty of philosophy undergrad and finished her doctorate later than I finished mine. And she was making some comments, very upset about a post I made. And I was, I kept asking, what's your argument? She wasn't presenting an argument, just pure emotion. Sure. This person tragically came in an ardent uh, Christian, a very Bible believing Christian and left as uh, 
it's kind of a social justice woke uh, new ager. Needless to say, she deleted me off Facebook after that public discussion. But um, to go back to the question, this Catholic uh, philosopher asked me, he's a very good thinker himself. Um, and he, he asked me, you know, why do theologians hate God so much? And part of me thought it was, you know, some of it's on ignorance and confusion, because I've, I've noticed that a lot of the the Christian theologians, even Catholic theologians, they're not well versed in philosophy of religion and in arguments for God's existence. They really dismiss them offhand. But so there's this ignorance and confusion. But even worse than that, I see there's a rebellion where it's become fashionable for theologians to be rather heterodox in their views. But that's another issue in and of itself. But it's a fascinating thing to say the least, because as I alluded to earlier, an ex-girlfriend's father who played a role in my return to my faith and a priest that I knew at the time, they said, don't go into theology. It'll take you even further away from your faith. And the mm. interesting thing, I actually came closer to my faith because I was questioning the methods and the sources they were providing me, these professors of theology. Not all of them were heterodox, but a lot of the sources that they were providing were from more liberal and radical scholars, some from the Jesus Seminar. They were claiming, you know, that Jesus's body was eaten by rabid dogs. This was, you know, an idea that was pushed forward by John Dominique Crossan, famous New Testament scholar. So they were exposing me to this literature, but then I was examining more of the conservative literature so other New Testament scholars like N.T. Wright, Dr. Bill Craig, William Lane Craig, and Gary Habermas. So I started to see, okay, well, there's uh, counter arguments to this. And I was convinced more by the counter arguments. So that played reverse role, whatever people thought it would make me stray away from my once held faith brought me back ironically to my faith. It's interesting that I think then maybe my supervisor and others were supportive of me because they thought I wouldn't be a danger in terms of graduating with a doctorate, having such loosey-goosey views about theology at the time. And mm. then I made a 180-degree turn. I speculate that they resented me for it. And so mm. they didn't even give me a platform to speak about my first book. And so anyways, theology has been in many instances and in many faculties, not all professors, but it's been radicalized. Yes. And so yes. there's an infiltration of the social justice and, you know, cultural Marxism and, and ideas from the Frankfurt School. You know, my, my mm. supervisor taught courses on this. And he infused Thomism with critical theory and postmodernism, which I, I found to be a rather strange thing, but nonetheless. You know, it's interesting that because as we're trying to deal with truth and throughout the history of the Christian West has been this search for truth. I mean, all of the great philosophers, whether it's Descartes, it's always been trying to determine whether or not there's a proof for God. You right. know, as they've been trying to argue. But here's the thing that I wonder in the search for truth, if one of the reasons that the academia is so against this idea of the capital T truth, the objective truth, is in fact that ultimately it comes back to the declaration of the very centerpiece of our culture, i.e., Jesus Christ, the Messiah, where he said, I am the truth, the light, and the way, you know, um, 
and that uh, when you understand the truth, the truth is going to set you free. But then what is that truth? You go back to this Aristotle's declaration of what is, and then you go and you look at Moses at the burning bush. He's informed that the truth, that God is the I am. In other words, God is. And it's that I wonder whether or not within the secular humanity academia is this idea of, my word, we don't want to get back to the great I am that I am, or the idea that I am the truth as claimed by the Messiah. And there's been this massive push, which is fascinating because truth is almost seen like anathema to the modern ideology. Well, I find that we live in a very, very bizarre period in history. And I was just telling my father this earlier today, and I've said it many times, and it was an observation I had maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, I actually wrote an article on this thinker, his name's uh, Mario Bunge, back in January 2020, and he was a reductive materialist. Mm. But he affirmed truth, and he was very critical of postmodernism. He went out of his way to publish a couple of articles, in my opinion, decimating postmodernism in academic journals. And it was interesting, as Mario Bunge is Argentinian, like my, uh, my parents, and he actually graduated from La Plata University, like my father. I had been exposed to some of his literature and I found this fascinating. Here you have an atheist. He was a professor at McGill, very lucid. Mm. He died, I believe, in, at 95 years old or even older than that. But he was still very lucid to uh, probably his dying breath and very, very cultured and intelligent man. But um, it was interesting how he affirmed truth, but he was an atheist. So to go back to this, this idea that we live in a bizarre and strange period, where I actually find that I have closer affinity to atheists. Mm. Some atheists, like Richard Dawkins, for instance, who can affirm that there's such a thing as male and female, who can Mm. denounce um, certain things as evil, even though it may not be consistent with his worldview. But I find that I may have a closer affinity with some of these materialistic, uh, scientific materialist scientists more so than some of my fellow Catholics and Christians that have gone off the deep end with uh, wokeism and postmodernism and critical theory, where they're treating truth merely as subjective. And, you know, like we mentioned before, they're reducing reality just to be a power struggle between groups mm-hmm. of oppressors and oppressed. And so it's this very uh, simplistic way of looking at reality. Reality is much more complex, but you know, as we mentioned before, you know, anybody who's denying truth, they're doing it in spite of themselves. And you cannot live in a world without truth. The truth is just is God declared, right? I am who I am. What I found interesting as well is this idea that truth is also relational and Mm. it's found in the person, right? So, um, so truth for Christians, as you know, is much more than just something objectively that's out there or a correspondence theory of truth or the law of non-contradiction it's more than an abstract concept it's it's relational and it's exemplified as you mentioned in the person of jesus so much in the same way that we have this profound denial of truth in our culture we can also say there's there's nothing new under the sun these ideas 
nothing new. We had the pre-Socratic uh, Greek philosopher, sophist uh, Protagoras, who infamously stated, right, man is the measure of all things. Mm. Um, so man is the decider and exactly goes back also to the transhumanist project where you have people like Yuval Noah Harari, mm. um, who some people have labeled as a false prophet. Um, some people even gone to speculate as the Antichrist. I, I don't really buy into that, but he says it's like we'll be our own gods. It's it's kind of like the same dialogue that the serpent had with Adam and Eve. It's like no, you mm. you won't perish. It's like it'll open your eyes, yeah, and yeah. you'll be able to have knowledge, right? And so you will be like God yourself. And so it leads me also to the point that uh, I was speculating on yesterday was this encounter between Pilate and Jesus when he asked them dismissively, what is truth? What is truth? He didn't, and he didn't wait for an answer. So it wasn't, it wasn't intended to be a question. He used it to support a position and he, he declared that Jesus was innocent in front of the angry and accusatory Jewish mob. But then he had him flogged and, and handed over to be crucified. And this relates back to this whole notion of relativism. Pilate took it upon himself, Protagoras is saying, about man being the decider of all, since he went along with the idea that truth is relative. So in other words, for him, it was truth that Jesus was innocent, but for the Jews, it was the truth that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. Pilate, you could say, is following the idea that what may be true for him may not be true for others and wash his hands clean of this crime and let the Jews follow their own truth. So. Again, it's like, however, inconsistently, there's this notion of relativism that creeps up um, throughout history. So there's nothing new under the sun. And so we see that today, but it's inescapable. The truth is the truth. Mm -hmm. We cannot deny it as Aristotle so eloquently and so simply put, right? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when we think of Harry Frankfurt, who wrote the book on bullshit, but also on the truth, which both great reads, what he points out in the book on truth is that without it, civilization simply cannot exist. I, I mean, we cannot exist if we do not have the notion and understanding that there is objective truth. For everything from the architect to the designers of the airplanes and everything else. I mean, everything collapses. You know, there's some funny examples. Um, evolutionarily wise, it's like, um, you know, Avon Plantig, a famous philosopher, he had this argument, the evolutionary argument against naturalism. And so for even survival purposes, it's like there, there has to be such a thing as truth. For instance, mm -hmm. uh, if we perceive a hungry lion as a friendly and cuddly creature and attempt to cuddle it, things would not end very well for us. That's no. the, the, the truth in recognizing such an imminent danger is fundamental to our survival. Likewise, you know, if you think about the labels on a medication, if they're totally false and the containers on which they are, you know, stuck, uh, contain some sort of poison, we would be harmed or killed. And so the truth matters every step of the way. Science would fall apart, all the philosophy, theology, everything, you know, like you mentioned, the architecture, it's inescapable. We can't escape yeah. it. It's truth is truth. And society and life and reality just would be impossible to function. I see that our time is gone yet again, uh, but I 
do think that this whole concept of truth, what can you what can you share with us? What could be the the takeaway for our audience here today as we've talked about this concept of truth? And I, I did just to hear your thoughts and uh, any other projects you have uh, dealing with truth that you want to share. How do we get to your uh, information? But uh, first of all, your thoughts, your final thought on the concept of truth, and then how can we get to your material? I would say that as I uttered before, iterated before, is that the truth is fundamental in every avenue, whether it's a scientific enterprise, whether it's in logic, whether it's in metaphysics, whether it's theology, um, whether it's in relationships, you have truth in, in things that you say. It's like that correspond with action. Truth is just inescapable. And it is the fabric mm. of, of reality and God is equated with truth. And we found it in a, in a human person, Jesus Christ. Maybe we can even close with what Aristotle said again, so it's clear for the audience. And so to say of what is that it is not, or of what is not that it is, is false, right? So, yeah. and the reverse, well, to say what is that it is, and of what is not that it is not, is true. Mm. So that to me is the most succinct and the clearest uh, definition of truth that would have gone <laughs> very well if Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris could have articulated that in their discussion because they fumbled for literally an hour and a half or two hours. It was it was very sophomoric and uh, tragic. Mm. And, and I'll close off with also saying that I had met Peterson a couple of times and I actually put a, I found an old letter I, I gave to him and I put that in to my blog. I, I put it as a blog post. And so I spoke about truth and I, and I wrote an article where I contrast him and Jack Derrida, the postmodernist. Uh, it was an oh, academic yes. article published. Mm -hmm. And so listening to some of Peterson's lecture, I surmise that he has two ideas of, uh, of truth. One was there, he, he affirms an objective truth, even though he sounded like I'm postmodernist in that debate with Sam Harris, mm. but he also affirms kind of, uh, kind of a Darwinian sense, kind of a functional truth, maybe a survival truth. Like I mentioned with the, the lion, uh, with the lion yeah. right. And so, um, it was interesting. I actually in this, it'll be available for your audience if they're interested to read in the next week. Um, so I mentioned, I wrote a couple articles and I gave him the, uh, the early version of that article where I, I juxtapose his ideas with Jacques Derrida. I call him defender of truth, even though, uh, sometimes it's very unclear <laughs> if he understands what truth is and how he struggles with his, uh, with coming to uh, grips with maybe, uh, the inevitable of his, uh, pending Christian faith. But, um, right. But what I found fascinating is that I also gave him a, an article that I wrote that was critical of his ideas and comparing him with uh, Dr. William Lane Craig, who's mm. written on the subjects that he's troubled with, with things like the arguments for the existence of God. Um, and also he's been troubled with the divinity of Christ. And somebody like Craig has written extensively on the divine self-understanding of Jesus and also the... Uh, the resurrection, the historicity of the resurrection and the historiographical uh, arguments and evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And mm -hmm. so I basically presented that. I gave it to him and I actually put on the cover uh, a picture of him with a 
a rock lobster slapping a fish with a picture of Derrida. I gave him all that. He never, he never got into contact with me, but um, uh, nonetheless, uh, he, uh, you know, I gave him that food for thought. And I don't know if he ever read it, but maybe hopefully it'll set his path towards truth more, more clearly. But, um, but uh, yet to just, I think the best way to end it is with that, that notion that Aristotle uh, oh. leaves with us. And the truth is inescapable. You mm. deny it, you affirm it. You deny it yeah, and you affirm absolutely. it. Absolutely. And and I think that's the, the power of it all, right? I mean, it's uh, just by trying to avoid it, as modern society is trying to avoid truth, uh, the objective truth, the big T truth, in their denial, they're actually affirming it. Which is, And the irony is lost on them as well, or the tragedy, yeah. I, I should say. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, listen, so how can people get to your material? Yes, so I'm revamping my personal website. The address is www.scottventureyra.com. So that's my personal website. And also I have my website for True Freedom Press, www.truefreedompress.co, not .com. And you can also access it through truefreedompress.ca so within the next week and if anybody wants to reach out um, they can reach out to me at uh, truefreedompress at gmail.com if they're interested in any of the services I'll be offering that I offer for True Freedom Press whether it's cover design uh, copy editing typesetting uh, ghostwriting brainstorming bibliography creation whatnot so I offer many different services that uh, would be available in publication services through True Freedom Press if people are interested in, in writing a book that might be controversial or or if they're just looking for some help in uh, editing or whatnot, I offer those services. And also my personal website will have all my writings up, uh, hopefully soon, all my academic, all my popular writings, uh, whether newspapers, magazines, or academic journals. So everything will be on those, uh, those websites and I can be reached at truefreedompress at gmail.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Scott, thank you so much again for being okay, with us. It's you. been a pleasure. Okay. It's been a pleasure as well. You know, folks, I tell you, when it comes to truth, if there's ever a time for us as a society to get back to it, it is now. And I encourage you to look at all of these materials that uh, Scott has produced. And you may not agree with the opinions expressed by myself or by Scott, but here on Freedom Feature, we're interested in open, honest, and transparent dialogue. And so we look forward to you joining us yet again. And until then, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. Firstfreedoms.ca